0: to make it real for them outside of just life group time, or church time, that we say, you know, we live out our Christian faith. So we gave a big room uh, over to this uh, group that started the church, which was called Shepherd's Grace Church. I knew that there was a, uh, a feeling and a desire to be here that I had not experienced before. And it was just a whole, uh, a new experience for me that I was exciting started with. Personally, Jesus means to me everything, basically,
1: but like, he can help me from finding a small Lego that I can't
0: find, to huge decisions. Can I add like a cool amount of Well, I don't know any. <laughs> Since I came here, I actually got saved and I got baptized here, so that was actually- Just looking at that video, I think that is truly a reflection of things that I have gone through in the last two years. I can't believe it's been two years. It certainly
1: feels longer. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've had to adjust and grow and adapt. I've been challenged um, in that way. Our family has been challenged. Uh, of course, a lot of people
0: have gone through changes, um, certainly with this pandemic and just life. you uh, said something to the same? What are or the things so, that would be the same for two years ago? How it God can help you with a bunch of stuff Maybe, maybe not so much helping you find a little Lego, but it may be more healthy relationships, and, but still making big decisions, he can obviously help you with that. It's, a, it's an important thing in life. Obviously, much has happened uh, since two years ago, but the one thing that impresses both me and my wife, both my wife and I, is the fact that we've seen youth in our church that has a focus that comes genuinely out of their own living and lifestyle.
1: I think the depth of my understanding and appreciation for God's grace has increased um, with a lot of things in my life that I'm able to do now, Um, whether it's serving, helping lead ministries, just sharing God's word with people, a deeper understanding of the Bible in general, deeper understanding of uh, his love and the extent that he went to bring me up out of out of that point in my life. I guess that would be the biggest thing. And I know I understood it then, but I think it just, it becomes greater and greater as time goes on.
0: I do have a knock-knock joke. I came prepared. All right, I have two actually. So you pick one or two. Let's go with two. Good, that was a better one. Knock, knock. Who's that? Cash. Cash who? Nah, I prefer almonds. <laughs> it was really crazy to see myself from two years ago. I have grown so much since then, and I think I sound different, but maybe maybe I sound the same. I can just look back and I can see someone who's in the beginning, middle. I don't know what point of my faith journey. I was just a lot less spiritually mature. And looking back, I can just, it's kind of like just watching like my own origin story, like superheroes. You just look back and see everything and everyone who helped like form and create you. And I like look at myself and like, I see all those people and I see all those experiences and I see how much I've grown since then. And it's just, it was really cool. I enjoyed it.
1: All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Grace here at the Medina East Campus. For those in the room, also, if you are someone who is joining us on live stream, we want to extend a special welcome to you, too. Thanks for joining us this way. And as you heard and as you can tell, uh, we are actually beginning a three-week series that is a revisitation of a 10-year journey that we are collectively on as a campus that's called Here We Go. Now, of course, if you're someone who has been part of the Medina East family for the past three years, you are familiar with Here We Go. You probably have been involved in Here We Go. You might even have a shirt that says Here We Go, and so it's something that you're familiar with. Um, And if you're someone who's new to Grace, if it's your first time here, if you've been coming for the past couple of years, this might be a brand new conversation uh, for you. And if that's you, I'm actually really excited that you're here so that you can hear a little bit more about the heartbeat of where we are hoping to collectively head as a church over this 10-year journey that we're on together that's called Here We Go. And we keep calling it a journey. And what characterizes this journey, what makes it so unique, is that this journey is something that is defined specifically by four key areas, four key biblical convictions that we are collectively pursuing together as a church. And those four key areas are these. And so first off, we said in this 10-year journey... We are committed to collectively pursuing investing in children and in students. And so one of the things that we said is we have said in this, in this here we go journey that our commitment, our desire is to be a church that is dedicated to investing in the emerging generation, uh, that we want to invest ourselves in the generation that is up and is coming. The second uh, key area in this 10-year journey is campusing. And basically what we have said there is we have said that over the course of this next 10 years, our desire is not just to be a church that continues to grow bigger and bigger and bigger in one location. Our desire is to actually be a sending church that sends other churches and sends other campuses and sends other people into other areas where the gospel can be spread. So that's one of the desires that we have. We said the third key area is leadership development. And so what we've said is we said that as we pursue this vision and this journey together, Uh, We recognize that the deepest need that we're going to have is not simply for more money and it's not simply for more buildings, but the deepest need that we're going to have moving forward is for more leaders, more servant-minded leaders who are equipped and are prepared to reach out to other people for the sake of the gospel. That is going to be our greatest need. And then the fourth thing, the fourth key area that we're focusing on is outreach. And so we said this, we said that we do not want to be a church that simply exists for itself. Our desire is to be a church that exists for the community and the world that we find ourselves in. And so that is a big reason why we do things like Love Medina. Many of you were part of that this past weekend, a way to get out and serve our community. I hope you guys had a good time doing that. I know I did. I uh, got some pretty bad poison ivy. I don't know if you guys can see that there. From, so I loved Medina, but it didn't love me back very well. And uh, so but that's just an awesome way to, to outreach into the community that we live in. That's also why we invest in things like global partnerships as well, is because we don't want to be a church that just exists for itself but exists for the world that we live in. And what we said is we said that these four key areas are birthed out of biblical convictions and as a church collectively, over the next 10 years, we wanna pursue these things in very specific ways. And so we actually described it as a 10-year journey. This is what what we've said from the very beginning. It started back in 2020. February 2020 is when phase one began. And we said this 10-year journey, we we wanna phase into three different phases, each phase a little over three years. The first phase began in 2020, and it will end in the beginning of 2023. Uh, The second phase will begin at the beginning of 2023, and that will go for about three and a third years, and that will lead us into the final phase. And so some of you might be seeing this. You might be asking, okay, so it's May. Why exactly is it that we are talking about here we go right now? Well, the reason that we decided that we wanna take the next three weeks to kind of update us on this 10-year journey is actually for a handful of reasons. So first off, we said what we wanna do in this three weeks is we want to remind and renew our collective commitment to here we go. So there's been a lot that's happened over the past couple of years. And I think that it's very easy for us sometimes to drift. I know it's easy for me to drift from commitments and to drift from uh, core convictions that we have as a church. And so our hope is to return back to those things we want to recast, we want to refresh the biblical heart behind here we go, behind those goals and aspirations. And so as it always is, we, we, we know that there's a tendency to drift away from the biblical heart and the biblical convictions that we see in scripture that should guide and should lead and should drive us as a church. And so our hope is in this series just to return back and refresh ourselves on those things. The third thing we want to do is we actually, practically speaking, we just want to provide some updates. I want to give you some very practical updates in where are we in this Here We Go journey? How are we doing with some of the goals that we have set out out together collectively from the beginning of Here We Go? So today and the next few weeks, we're going to give you some updates on those things. And then lastly... We also wanna orient and invite newer people in. Here we go. So we know that there's, over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of you who have come and have gotten connected to grace, maybe even for some of you just over the past few weeks, you've gotten connected to grace. And this whole conversation is brand new to you. And so if that's you, like I said, I'm excited you're here because we want to invite you, orient you, and invite you into this journey that we are on together that we're calling Here We Go. So having said all of that, today what I want to do as we begin this series is I actually want to zoom in. I want to talk specifically about our commitment to children and students, okay? So one of the things that you will hear us say at the Medina East Campus, and you maybe have already heard us say this if you've been around for any length of time, is we'll say things like this. We'll say that we believe that the church of Jesus Christ is at her very best when every generation is looking back and investing in the generation behind it. That's one thing that we we'll say. We'll say, that we believe that the church is at her very best when every generation is looking out for the next generation that's emerging behind it. Now, the question is, where did that statement come from? Where does that come from in scripture? Where does that conviction find its scriptural roots? And then how do we actually play that out as a church? Okay, so that's actually what I want to think about here a little bit, and then I want to give you some updates on some of what we're doing together throughout, um, through Here We Go. So the passage I want to take you to that I think really best explains our heart in this right here with kids and students is actually a very important passage that has been very instructive and has very, been very formative to us as a church over the past few years. And the passage I want to take you to is actually in Judges chapter 2 this, again, is a passage that has been very important to us as a campus, but Judges chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, I want you you flip there and open with me to Judges 2, back in the Old Testament, right? When's the last time you are in the book of Judges? So find that if you would. Page 191 is uh, where you're going to find it in the Bibles under the chairs. So if you need to use one of those Bibles, feel free to do that. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, we'd love for you to take a Bible home and just make that a gift. So Judges 2 is where we're going to go. Now, as you're fighting Judges chapter 2, one of the things you'll notice as you're turning to the book of Judges is the book of Judges comes right after another book in the Old Testament, and that book is the book of Joshua. Okay, so you have Joshua and you have Judges. Now, if you are someone who's familiar with the Bible, and I know that not everyone in this room is familiar with the Bible, but if you're someone who's familiar with the Bible, you might know that Joshua and Judges, even though they sit right next to each other in the Old Testament those two books could not be any more different from one another. Uh, The book of Joshua, in many ways, is like one of the epic high points of the Old Testament. The book of Joshua is an epic book. The book of Judges, on the other hand, is arguably the lowest point in the entire Old Testament. It is a tragic book of things that you see in an entire generation and an entire society of God's people. And when you read Joshua what you see is that there's these amazing moments of God's unbelievable faithfulness and the responsiveness of God's people to his leading. And so in the book of Joshua, you're going to see epic high points. So you're going to see, for example, God parting the Jordan River so that God's people can faithfully go through. You're going to see in the book of Joshua, you're going to see God deliver his people into the promised land. In an, in an epic moment of victory, uh, you're going to see in the book of Joshua things like the walls of Jericho come crashing down. God doing that for his people. If you've grown up in Sunday school, you probably have heard that story at some point or another. And so you see these incredible moments of God's sweeping faithfulness and victory in the book of Joshua. And then you read Judges. And if you've never read Judges, I just got to tell you, it is one of the most difficult books to read in the entire Old Testament. Not because it's hard to read, but because it is so dark. The book of Judges is like a downward cycle where you see the degradation of an entire generation happen, the degradation of an entire society. Terrible things happen in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, you see death, you see murder, you see human sacrifice, you see betrayal, you see illicit sex, you see rape, you see scandal, you see violence to the highest degrees. These things saturate the pages, of the book of Judges. And what it causes you to do when you read these two books next to each other is is it causes you to ask the question, how in the world did that happen? How did you go from Joshua, this epic high point of God's faithfulness and and the responsiveness of the people of God to him, to the book of Judges, where you see the moral decay of an entire society? How does that happen? And here's the thing. That is a complicated question. But I actually believe that right at the beginning of the book of Judges, there is a passage that gives us tremendous insight into where that breakdown took place. And I want to show it to you. Like I said, this has been a very important passage to us here at the Medina East campus. Chapter, Judges chapter 2. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, by the way, the same Joshua from the book Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of, of his inheritance at Timnath-Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And so basically it tells us Joshua passes away. And then look what the Bible says next. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Again, it's a very nice way of saying after that entire generation, Joshua's generation had died. It says another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So they didn't know God and they didn't know the history of what God had done for his people. Then look what it says. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals, which those are false gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt and they followed and they worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. Now, this is one of those passages that you can read right past and not think twice about because let's face it, it's got places and names that we can't pronounce and so we just read right past it. However, I think that you have a really a really uh, big clue as to where the breakdown took place right here. It says that there was another generation that came after Joshua's generation who didn't know the Lord, nor what he had done for Israel. And as a result of that, they didn't know God, they didn't have a relationship with God, they didn't know about his faithfulness in the past. The Bible says as a result of that, they turned away from God, and you see the degradation of the entire book of Judges. And the question that it forces me to ask when I read that is, Is it possible that this was included as a warning? And is it possible that maybe what we see in the book of Judges could have been avoided? If Joshua's generation would have decided to invest himself in a different way, is it possible that we could have seen something different happen? Can I just tell you that um, I want to show you an illustration that has been very helpful to me, and it's an illustration I showed a couple years ago that I think has been helpful to our, our whole church to help us kinda understand what God's desire is for how each generation interacts with the next. Um, So I'm gonna draw a very complicated diagram for you. Um, This is it right here. And um, I want you just to imagine with me a caravan. Okay, so this is a caravan. And I told this story a couple years ago and I won't retell the whole story, but basically what happened was I was uh, serving with student ministries. I was a college student and I was helping with high school students. And uh, the youth group that I was helping serve with, they were going to go on this retreat. It was a weekend retreat in the back country of West Virginia. And there was about 100 to 150 high school students somewhere in there that were going on this retreat. So the youth pastor had rented out a whole fleet of 15 passenger vans, This was crazy. And I remember I was to be one of the drivers. As one of the leaders, I was going to be one of the drivers of these, these minivans, and I'll never forget this because the youth pastor, before we all left, he got all the drivers together. So I was one of the drivers. And I remember on a napkin, he drew this. And this is what he said. And I, I'll never forget this because I thought it was so brilliant. He said, he said, listen, I have taken this trip several times. And he said, and every time I take it, somebody gets lost. He said, once we get into West Virginia, the roads get really windy and there's no cell phone service. And every time we've done this trip, someone gets lost. He said, so here's the game plan. And this is, this is gonna work. He said, here's the game plan. And he drew this, and he said, so every driver, he said, your responsibility is not simply to follow the van in front of you. He says, you should do that, but that's not your primary responsibility. He said, every driver, he said, your primary responsibility is not simply to think about the people in your own van. He says, yes, you should do that. He said, but here's the game plan. Every van's responsibility is that you need to take responsibility for the van behind you. And so this is what he said to us. He said, your job is to maintain an approachable distance so that the van behind you can follow you. Your job is that you need to set a sustainable pace. And your job is that you need to keep the van behind you in your your rear view mirror at all times. And this is what he said. He said, if every single one of you does that, that will ensure that nobody gets lost. And I remember I thought about that, and I thought that is such a simple but brilliant strategy. And it wasn't until later on in life that as I was reading through scriptures, this picture came back into my mind because as I was reading the Bible, I thought this is uh, the exact idea that you see throughout scripture of how God desires that each generation interacts with the next. One of the things that you're gonna see replete throughout the pages of scripture is this truth, that the story of God, that the gospel, the story of God's redemptive plan in this world it's best passed down generationally and relationally. That the way that God desires for his message and his glory to be transmitted is through the fabric of generations and through relationships. That's the way that God has designed it. So let me just give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. In Psalm 145, it says this, one generation is to commend your works to the next. So you see the cascading effect. They tell of your mighty acts, they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. They tell of the power of your awesome works. They celebrate your abundant goodness and they joyfully sing of your righteousness. So you can see, this is not just merely information transfer. Right? What you're transferring is a relationship of the praiseworthy awesomeness, a relationship with God himself. I want you to look at Psalm 78. This Psalm is so amazing. It says, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old. Now I want you to notice the language things we have heard and we have known, things that our ancestors have told us. We won't hide them from their descendants. We're gonna tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord about his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and he established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, that they would in turn even tell their children but they would put their hope and their trust in God and they would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. Now, do you notice the cascading caravan of generations that's mentioned in this passage? Our ancestors, they told us. And so we declare to the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of God and they will even tell the children yet to be born. In other words, the story of God is best passed down relationally and generationally. That is the fabric in which the movement of God is to take place. And so here's what we said here at the Medina East Campus. We said, because we know this is God's heart, scripture tells us this is God's heart. We said that we want to be committed to this. We want to be committed to pursuing this collectively as a church. And because we know that judges warns us that the natural proclivity of one generation is to fall away and to fade away from investing in their their dedication to investing in the next generation, We said, we wanna keep this as a priority, something that we focus on and something that we are committed to together as a church. In fact, did you guys know at Grace Church, we actually have a set of values. And one of our values is this, is that we are fully committed to kids and students. We articulate it this way. We unapologetically devote major resources and energy towards shaping a God-centered worldview during, uh, during a person's prime developmental years. And so I think if you can get your head around what I'm talking about, This this core commitment that we see in Scripture to invest in the next generation is something that drives us as a church. It's something that we are committed to as a campus. And that will actually help Grace Church make a whole lot of sense to you, especially if you're newer. This is why we dedicate major resources, and we are very committed to our next generation ministries, things like Power Kids, things like Student Ministries, things like United, which serves young adults between 18 and 28. This is why we invest in things like marriage mentorship, where uh, couples who are younger, who are getting married, or who are married, there's older couples that are connected to them. This is why life groups are such a big deal to us, where different generations can come together and can learn from each other. This is, uh, this is why we dedicate major resources and energy towards summer camps and conferences things like Momentum Youth Conference, things like Bible Camp, all of the camps and conferences that we pour major time and resources into uh, throughout the summer. This also helps explain why it is that we invest in some of the local and global partnerships that we do. This is, for example, part of the heart of why we partner with Oasis of Hope right here in Medina. This is part of why we partner with uh, places like Safe Families, which if you guys know Safe Families, they work with the foster care system in Medina County. Uh, This is why we partner with Sanyuka Children's Ministry, which works with orphans in Uganda. Why are we doing those things? Well, part of it is because of our deep conviction here that we want to invest in kids and students. And here's what I wanted to kind of talk to you about is through Here We Go, when we started the Here We Go journey, one of the big ticket items that we collectively decided to pursue together as it relates to this conviction was that we wanted to expand and build new kids and student spaces within our own campus. Some of you might remember that. That was actually a big ticket item as we began the first leg of this journey as we said that we want to try to figure out a way to build and expand our power kids and our student ministry and our equipping spaces in our building. And so what I wanna actually do with the remainder of the time that we have is I actually wanna spend pretty much the bulk of our time giving you an update on that construction. And okay, that's what I wanna do. Now, I, I need to tell you that um, even though we've had this series planned for a long time, I did not intend to take the amount of time that I'm about to take right now to give you a full construction update. But I need you to know that there are some details that emerged and there's some, some information that's, that's emerged over the past two weeks That I have become aware of, that has actually caused us to be in a place that we, as a leadership team, need to make some pretty serious decisions. And so I'm at a place right now where I thought, okay, I think what I need to do is I need to fill you in if you're part of the Medina East Campus family, and I also need to invite you into this process of what's happened over the past few years as relates to this construction project. Okay. Now, before I dig into this, because I'm going to give you some details about construction and those kind of things, I do just need to tell you that if you're a guest here for the first time. I promise you that what I'm about to do is completely uncharacteristic of anything that we ever do here at the Medina East Campus. So if you're a guest, I'm so glad you're here and I'm kind of sorry at the same time, (laughs) all right? Because I do have to use a little bit of insider talk because I need to talk specifically to those who are the Grace Church family. However, I do wanna say if you are a guest here, I am so glad that you're able to listen in. And my hope is that even as we talk through this, that you'll be able to hear the heart and the conviction of our church, that maybe this is a way that you can get to know us better, all right? So let me walk you through some details and tell you where we are in the construction process. So two years ago, 2020, uh, when this whole thing began, uh, we actually had some desires. We had we basically had really kind of three big desires as we were walking into new construction. And our three kind of collective hopes that we had were these. First, we wanted to build new and exciting spaces for kids and students. So we said, we wanna build new spaces for the next generation, and we wanna expand what we currently have. We had some space issues at that time, so we wanted to do that. The second goal we had was that we wanted to pay for all of this construction entirely from the giving from the first leg of the campaign. That was one of our goals. And the reason we did that is because we did not wanna take on any more debt. We said, we wanna raise the money, we wanna build the thing, we wanna be done with it. That was our hope and that was our desire. Okay, now let me walk you through the timeline of what's transpired since then. So February in 2020 is when the Here We Go journey began. And that all culminated, it was an amazing time. If you guys were here, you might remember, there was just an unprecedented amount of of just, I mean, energy that we were experiencing as a church. And as we went through Here We Go, we watched God's faithfulness through his people in just amazing ways. It culminated in something we called a commitment weekend, and there were several different commitments that God's people made to here we go in several different areas. One of those commitments was a financial commitment, and we had actually met with a uh, kind of a financial, um, uh, what you call it, an, an analyst or, or a consultant, and we basically asked them, given a congregation our size at that time, what do you reasonably believe that we can raise together collectively as a church? And they got back to us and they said, you could probably safely say that you can raise up to $1.5 million. That's what they told us. Well, here we go. There was an overwhelming response to here we go. And we saw $2.9 million committed by many of you, by the people of God here. And so we were blown away by that in February of 2020. And we said to ourselves, wow, we believe with full confidence that we can move forward with this construction and maintain those three things that I had just mentioned to you. And so we decided to move forward. Well, then I don't know if you guys remember after February 2020, <laughs> something real interesting happened in March, actually. And uh, so in March 2020, COVID showed up in our back door in a, in a very, very, very real way. All of a sudden, we found ourselves in a very different world. And the stay-home order came. And of course, at that point, we had uh, decided to postpone services for a period of time. And one of the things that the leadership team was trying to figure out during this time was how does this impact here we go? And so a lot of the commitments that we were moving forward with, we decided that we were gonna to continue to move forward with, but the one, the one aspect of here we go that was most impacted was construction. And so we decided in March, 2020, that we were gonna pause the construction process. Now, my guess is it's probably obvious to you why we decided to do that. Uh, part of it was because we had no idea what to expect with the global pandemic. We had no idea what the economic effect of a global pandemic was gonna be on, on, on us, on the people of God here. We had no idea how it was going to impact the construction. We had no idea what gathering was going to look like in the future. And so we said, we're going to hit pause and then we're going to give it some time and then we'll reevaluate after we have a little bit more data and then we'll move forward. So after a year of doing that, you know, of regathering and going through all the process of what we experienced in 2020, we were paying attention to how things were going at the church, how regathering was happening. We were paying attention to Here We Go Giving, which continued to come in consistent and strong. We are looking at the giving here at Grace Church, which actually increased during that time. It's unbelievable, the generosity of God's people. And so after about a year of pausing, we said we have no reason to continue pausing. We think we have enough information to resume. And so in April of 2021, we resumed the construction process. And of course, what that involved is it involved hiring an architect, it involved blueprints, it it involved uh, approval processes, all the things that go along with that. By the way, all of the drawings that you see in the cafe, if you guys didn't see those out in the library, there's blueprints and there's artist renditions of what that building is projected to look like, what we've been working with. Throughout this time as well, we also, uh, we also met with professional builders and estimators to try to value engineer things to get the price as best as we could because we knew that, that the price of construction was continuing to go up. So that's what happened in April 21 to 22 those kind of things. In fact, let me just show you, and I I understand that I'm going to show you these pictures, that there's no way you're going to be able to read these, but uh, you can see these out in the cafe, but I just want to explain to you briefly, this is a a blueprint of what the construction might look like. So just to give you a sense of uh, kind of scale, this box right here is the current auditorium, so that's where we're sitting right now. This is the cafe right here, you can see and this is the current Power Kids space. So what the new building would include is it would include a totally renovated Power Kids space. It would include um, an addition to the bathrooms, which if you if someone said yay, and that's true, because if you know the men's bathroom situation here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So there's that. It also would include a full addition back here, which would expand Power Kids and also add the student ministry spaces and include a gymnasium, it'd be that. Now, you'll notice that the addition is just a box, just a big box. So as we were meeting with the builders, they basically said that the the most cost-effective way for us to add onto the building would be actually to order something that's called a butler building. And so I really don't know much about this, but a butler building is basically a prefab steel structure that they build off-site, they bring it in, and you just put it up, and it's basically how it all works. And so they said that would be the most cost-effective way moving forward would be to do that. Uh, this building, by the way, is a two-story building, and so the second floor would look like this. Uh, the current power kit or the, cur- the current student ministry space would become classrooms and equipping division spaces. There'd be further classrooms here, and then a mezzanine where student ministries and Reunited could meet. Would be something like that. Give you an outside view of it real quick. You can see that from the front of the building, nothing really changes. There's some windows that are added. The back of the building, it's basically just a giant steel box that is put onto the back of the building. And so that's, that's what the blue, as we were working with the architects, the blueprints, those things came out. Now all that happened, and then in March, so just a couple months ago, in March of 2022, we got some estimates from those builders and they came back at $3.6 million. Now that was a lot, that was more than we had anticipated. Now we knew that the price of construction was going up and we anticipated that there would be a bump But that when we saw that price, we knew that was a bit much. However, and here's what kind of blew me away, is given not only the generosity of God's people through here we go, but also given the generosity of God's people through giving, we found ourselves in a place where we felt like with that number, we could still move forward with the construction and maintain those three convictions that we talked about. And so we said, that's high. We kind of knew it was gonna be high, but we feel like we can move forward. And so we decided to do that. And so at this part in March of 2022, we actually reached out to three different builders to give us real bids. We said, can you give us bids so we can move forward on this project? So that was March of 22. April of 22, we ordered the steel butler building, that building that I was talking about. We ordered that. That was uh, because of the advice of all three builders who were bidding on the project. They said, you need to order that building as fast as possible. They said, the price of steel is going up And they said, the longer you wait to order it, the longer it's gonna be before it gets here. And if you order it now, it's still gonna be several months before it even shows up. So we said, okay. So we ordered the Butler building. That was about half a million dollars for just to order that building. Then in May, so this month, the construction bids returned. And in fact, I remember the day that the bids returned. I remember it very well because it was a Thursday, May 12th when they returned. And the bids returned between four point two and four point six million dollars, so your response that you just had was my response as well and so I saw that, and then after I changed my pants <laughs> i I said um, okay we got we have to we have to figure something out because that is that 's beyond what we had anticipated and expected. I told you earlier that when we set out on this project, there was three hopes that we had and i said the hopes were that we could build these new spaces that we'd pay with it entirely from the giving of the first campaign and that we would not incur any more debt well i just want to tell you that in spite of our best efforts and given the global pandemic and the construction landscape that we find ourselves in i don't think we can i don't think we can any longer achieve all three of those things something has to give and something has to change So what does that mean? Well, let me just tell you what I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks. It's gonna kind of walk you through the process of what I've been thinking about, what our team has been working on for the past couple of weeks. So the first question I said was, okay, what are our options? What are the options in front of us? And we talked for hours about options, and I'm just gonna boil it down to three. I think you can summarize it to these three options. So option number one was we said, okay, potential option one is we could just not build it. We could just not build it. We could just say it's too much, it's way above what we anticipated, and so we're just not gonna do it. One of the things that we have tried to be very open to, and we always need to be open to, is the possibility that maybe God is redirecting our steps. We make our plans, but he is the one who's in control, and so we wanna be open to those things as well. Now, I will say, with all of the options that we're weighing out, there are upsides and there are downsides. And so let me, let me just give you some, some of those, not all of them, but some of them. Okay, one of the downsides is if we don't build there'll be a pretty big loss of invested time and resources. And so um, I actually was talking with our building team and I said, how much do we currently have invested in this project? And they said, well, uh, between architects and blueprints, it's about $105,000 already committed, approvals and all those things. I said, how many man hours do we as a church and as a staff have invested in this project? And our building team said, that's really hard for us to estimate, it's difficult between emails and meetings, it's really hard to quantify. I said, if you could give me just a rough estimate, a conservative rough estimate of how many man hours. I said, probably a 1,000, call it 1,000 man hours invested in the, in the process. I said, okay. I said, what else? They said, well, in addition to that, we've already ordered this Butler building. We've already ordered it. Of course, my first question was, can we cancel it? If we just ordered it last month. Is it possible to cancel that order? And their response was, probably, but there would be a cost attached to it. And I said, how much is the cost? They said, we don't know. I said, can you give me a ball, ball ballpark? And they said, call it $25,000. I said, okay. So I think one of the downsides would be there'd be a loss of invested time and resources. Another one is there'd be continued space issues. So part of what, what premeditated us to make this decision to build back in 2020 was that we were experiencing a space issue. There was a crunch that we were experiencing back in Power Kids and Student Ministries. Part of that was based on something that we called the wave. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with this, Three years ago, two, three years ago, we actually showed this graph, it's called the wave, and it's a breakdown of kids and students connected to our campus between the age of zero and 18. And so you can see back in that time, there was about 1,500 kids and students that were connected to our campus. We didn't see them all in one weekend, but they were connected to our campus here in some way or another. And you could see it was a wave. And we said, we need to build because this wave is coming. Well, over the past couple of years, you know, the pandemic and all those things and gathering sizes all shifted, but can I show you what's happened to this wave over the past couple of years? Over the past couple of years, we have seen that this wave has grown. And so there's now over 1900 kids and students that are connected to our campus. Most of them are six years old. My daughter is six years old. So you got a crazy group of six year olds here that are represented. And so we said that this would would not really help the space issues that we're facing. I think the other downside is that the people of grace, you guys, so many of you guys generously gave to this project with this in mind. And so I think if we were to redirect it, that would require a lot of thought process and it would require a lot of us talking about that together. The upside is that it would be the safest financial decision we could make. Uh, in a econo- an economy like we're in right now where there's so many variables and things to consider, I think that it would be the safest thing moving forward. And we did even talk about it could potentially enable us to pay off the existing mortgage that we have. It might position us to do that. That's one option we've been weighing out. Let me give you another one. The second option was what if we paused this or what if we phased it out? My guess is like some of you, my first response was, well, do we have to build all of it now? Can we phase it out? Can we build some of it? Can we just do it that way? And we actually started to realize that that's a very complicated question. And part of the reason is because, well, the downside is, first off, it would further delay addressing our space issues. So if we said we wanted to phase it out, we'd have to go back and we have to go through the whole process with the architects and the blueprints all over again. And at this point, we were told that if we, if we hit go on this project as of this week, it would be at least a year before that space was available to us. So the longer we wait for that, the, the more time... Uh, continues to elapse. Also, the steel frame is already ordered. And, um, and again, if you guys have questions specifically about that steel frame, I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Kevin. Um, Pastor Kevin, someone laughed. Uh, if you have any complaints about this project, <laughs> talk to Pastor Kevin. No, but seriously, Pastor Kevin has been deeply involved in this, and he knows a lot about the details. He's going to be out in the cafe by the drawings if you guys have questions. Of course, I'll be out there too. But part of the, the steel building, what's interesting is, is that when you order a prefab building like that, um, it, it, you can't really change the size of it. It's already kind of a, a custom-made size. And so to actually scale it back or to change the project would mean canceling orders and reordering things. It actually becomes more expensive to scale it back than it does to move forward with what we have. Of course, prices might continue to increase um, It's it's possible that that might continue. It seems like every month that we continue on this journey, construction prices continue to escalate. And there could be a loss of invested time and resources like we talked about. The upside is it's always possible. It's always possible that eventually prices might come back down again. That is possible. When that might happen, nobody knows. If that might happen, nobody knows. The third option is that we build, that we move forward and we build. Now there's clear downsides to this. There just are. Um, the project is far over budget, up to a million dollars over budget is what we're looking at. And so that's, that's, that's a significant amount. It would most likely require that we either take on more debt or it would necessitate that we expand the project into the next campaign. It would require something like that, which is not what we originally intended to do at the beginning of the project. And it also doesn't address any of the issues that we have, the space issues we have in the auditorium that's true with all of these options, but I think it's just important to remind everybody that all of this new construction is all for kids and students and equipping. It doesn't address anything in our current auditorium. Now, I think that the upside is that the cost is mostly locked in. So we're not talking about estimates anymore. We're talking about bids, which that means that this is, this is the cost that it's going to be moving forward. And that means that power kids, student ministries, bathroom and classroom space issues would be addressed. So obviously there's a variation you could do of these different options, but this is basically the three options that we're facing. And I think you can probably see and you can probably appreciate that with all three of these options, there comes a unique set of challenges. And so it's not a no-brainer decision, It it just isn't. With every single one of these, there's a challenge attached to it. So the question that I've been processing is what is the wisest decision moving forward? What is the best decision that we need? All of them have challenges attached to them but what is the wisest decision moving forward? And I will tell you, I I was asking the building team and specifically there's a guy on the building team named Jim. Jim has actually been instrumental in all the building projects at Grace Church and all of our campuses over the past 10 years. And I was talking to Jim and I said, Jim, looking at these details of the decisions that we made over the past 10 years or over the past two years, I said, going back, I would have done the same thing. Knowing what I knew, I would have made the same decisions. I said, did we mess up somewhere? Was there a mistake that we made? Did we mismanage something? And this is what Jim told me. I thought it was very helpful. He said, we didn't mismanage any resources. And he says, and we didn't make any foolish decisions. He said, the construction world just went crazy. And then he said to me, which was helpful because I don't know a whole lot about construction. He said to me, he said, just think about this. Back in February of 2020, if you went to Home Depot and you bought a two by four, how much did it cost? It's about $2.88 dollars 88 If you were to go to Home Depot this afternoon and buy a two by four, how much would it cost? About $5.98 is what it would cost you. Now you take that same percentage and you apply that to something on the scale of this project. And I just think that's what we're looking at. I think that's what we're seeing. So as I've been trying to seek out wisdom and what's the wisest thing, for me, the place I always go to is Proverbs. And Proverbs says this, it says, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Bible says that if we want wisdom, the source of wisdom is God. Uh, James says the same thing. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God and he'll give it generously. So one of the very first things that we did when we got this news was I called together our steering team. I called together our staff. I called together our ministry leads. I called together our uh, life group leaders. And I said, listen, would you guys be willing to join me sometime this week? Would you pick a day? Would you fast and would you pray? Because we need wisdom. We need wisdom moving forward as we're trying to figure out what is the wisest move. And here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that God has the wisdom that we need. I feel like we lack it and he has it. And so we need to ask him and he'll give it generously to us. And by the way, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you if you're part of the Medina East Campus to do the same, if you would pray with us about this. Okay, so that's the first thing we did. The second thing that we did, looking at Proverbs, Proverbs says, to answer before listening, that's folly and shame. Proverbs says, where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. Proverbs 18 says, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. And so what this reminds me of is that there's incredible wisdom in seeking out wise counsel and advisors. And so because of that, I've had so many conversations over the past couple of weeks. I talked to the building team, asked as many questions as I could and I could think of, seeking their wisdom, I talked to the ministry leads. I talked to our staff. I talked to our life group leaders. I presented to them what I presented to you. And I said, what are your insights? What are your thoughts? I talked to Pastor Jeff Bogue, who's a senior pastor at Grace Church. I talked to Pastor Dan Gregory, who is a veteran pastor at Grace Church, just trying to seek as much wisdom as I can. And now I'm talking to you. I'm in front of you as our church family and I'm doing the same thing. And I just wanna tell you that after the past couple of weeks of fasting and praying and seeking wisdom, let me just tell you that as of today, just this day, I believe that the best and wisest thing moving forward, I'll just tell you what I think it is right now, as of right now, I think it's that we build. I think that we need to move forward and we need to build. That's what I'm convinced of based on, and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying the clouds parted and the Lord spoke. I wish that's how it went. But I feel like after seeking wisdom and praying, that's how I feel today, all right? Now, having said that, I think I need to tell you three things that have been firmly planted in my heart over the past two weeks. Here's the first one. One of the things that's been very impressed on my heart as I've been fasting and praying is first off that we are God's building. This is what the scripture is gonna say. The church is not a building. We are the building of God. The people are the building. It's exactly what the book of Corinthians tells us. 1 Corinthians 3 says that we are God's building. And so here's what I know. A facility facilitates the church. And sometimes we need facilities to facilitate the movement of the church, but the church is not a building. I believe that right now, what this campus needs to better facilitate our involvement in the next generation is we need a facility to do that. However, can I just tell you that my biggest fear in moving forward with a building project is that it could further reinforce the false narrative that the church is a building. It's not, we're the church. In fact, um, the second thing, that it led me to was this, is I believe that we actually have the resources that we need to invest in the next generation within our church family. Here's what's been impressed on my heart. I believe we have everything that we need. God has provided what we need within the family of God's church here to invest in the next generation. And I know when I say that, a lot of you are thinking, you're talking about money, but I'm not. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the building, God's building, the people I believe that God has given us what we need in the people of this church to adequately invest in the next generation. Listen, here's the point. It doesn't matter how many kids and students we can fit into a facility. If we build a big facility and we get a bunch of kids and a bunch of students, it doesn't matter if there's not men and women who will rise up and say, we will invest in the next generation. That is the most important building project that we have as a campus, is to build into the next generation. In fact, did you guys know, I just thought this is kind of cool. Did you know that this weekend, in fact, right now, there's a group of about 100 young adults between 18 and 28 from our campus that are on a retreat this weekend. They're not here right now. And do you know what they're talking about on this retreat? I just think this is so cool. They're actually talking about the caravan. And those young adults, those 18 and 28-year-olds, are talking about how they and how their generation can pour and invest in the high school and middle school students and children of this campus. And you guys, to me, I think to myself, what an amazing example to us of the way that we should think. So I'm convinced that we have what we need right inside of our own church, that he's given us the resources that we need to invest in the next generation. And then lastly, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that as we move forward, I believe we need to build. But I'm also convinced that we cannot invest every dollar into bricks of facility. That's a typo. And uh, you can trust us with big decisions, clearly. (laughs) We're good, at, we're good at grammar and stuff. So I think I meant to say it, a facility. And here's, here's what I'm convinced of. Can I just tell you that the last couple of weeks have been pretty unexpected for me. They've been unexpected. They've kind of come out of left field. However, I, I know God is in control. And I, I believe that one of the things that has happened over the past couple of weeks, and I hope that it happens in all of us, is that it has actually cemented in me some very core convictions And the core convictions that have been cemented in my heart are these four things, that we wanna be a church that invests in the next generation, that prioritizes investing in the emerging generation, that we wanna be a church that sends campuses, we wanna be a sending church. We don't just wanna grow bigger and bigger in one location, we wanna expand out. I I believe we wanna be a church that invests in up-and-coming leaders and that exists for our community and world and outreach. I'm convinced of those things. Those things all come straight from the scripture and I am more convicted than ever that that is what we need to be focused on as a church. Now, how we do that just requires wisdom. We just need wisdom to know how to move forward in that. But I'm committed to saying that whatever it means to move forward with a building project, that we will do whatever we can to make sure that it doesn't steal resources from these convictions because we must pursue these four things. So if that means taking on a loan, then okay. If that means that there's a spontaneous act of generosity among God's people, then I'm okay with that too. But whatever it means, we want to move forward in those ways. So <laughs> welcome to Grace Church, if you're a guest. <laughs> it's just <magical. laughs> So, All right, so what am I actually asking you? I know I'm getting long-winded. So I'm asking you three things. I'm asking you, if you're a part of the Medina East Campus family, to prioritize building in the next generation. All right, would you do that? And maybe for you, it's as simple as this. Would you just prioritize praying for the next generation that this would be a focus that God has in our church? Would you pray for that? Would you maybe even some of you consider, if you're not connected to serving yet, would you consider getting connected to power kids or student ministries, or maybe joining the marriage mentor team and investing it? God can use us in those ways to help impart into the next generation. Here's the second thing I wanna ask you to do. I actually wanna ask for your insight and wisdom. Now I know this, this is where it gets a little tricky Because I I genuinely, if you're part of the Medina East Campus family, I genuinely want to hear from you. I want to hear your insight and I want to hear your wisdom as we move forward. And that's really complicated because I don't know how to do that like right now, like just speak up. I don't don't think that's the best way to do it. But here's what I know. June 2nd, this coming Thursday, is the time frame that we need to tell the builders whether or not we're going to accept their bid or not. So those bids that they give us, they come with an expiration date. So we were supposed to give an answer this last week and we came to the builders and we said, we just can't give you an answer. We need to, talk to, we need to talk to the congregation. We need to process, we need more wisdom. And they were gracious enough and they extended that and they said, you can answer us by next Thursday. And so after that, that bid expires and then it has to go through rebid again and those things. So because of that, we're hoping to make a decision by this Thursday, all right? And I genuinely would love to hear, if you're part of the Medina East Campus, I would love to hear your wisdom and your insight. That is very valuable to me. I just want you to know, um, I am not the church. We are the church and your insight and your opinion really genuinely matters a lot to me. And so if you're like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I'm like, I kind of want to hear you tell me that. I mean, if you could say it kindly, that'd be okay. (laughs) But if you're like, no, this is the right move and we need to move forward. I kind of need to hear that too. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying, I, 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 here's the point. I'm not the church, we are the church. I just happen to be the part of the body of Christ that actually has to make this decision. And I can't, I feel like I need to hear your voice as we, we talk and we move forward on that. So you can reach out to me, you can grab me in the cafe, you can talk to your life group leader, you can talk to a ministry leader you're connected to, you can talk to Pastor Kevin out in the cafe, especially if you got a complaint. And then, um, before all right, and here's what I'm also asking. Lastly, most importantly, I'm asking that you pray. Genuinely, I'm asking you, I am, I am calling you as a congregation, if you're part of this family, would you please pray with us? Would you pray? Would you even consider this week maybe taking a day to fast and to pray, to ask God that he would give us wisdom as we move forward? He has the wisdom that we need. We wanna ask him for those things. Would you pray? Would you maybe even get together with the people from your life group. Maybe you have a prayer meeting. Maybe you use your life group time or your discipleship time to pray, to pray, to pray. And so actually what we wanna do is we close out the service. I wanna ask the band to come up. And we actually wanna take a little space right now just to pray together. And so what we're gonna do is um, I'm gonna lead us specifically in a prayer for wisdom. And then we're gonna sing a song. And I want you to allow the song to become your prayer, if you would let it be. We'll put some verses on the screen Pray through those verses as we're singing. And then after that, there's two other things that we wanna be praying about together. And so you're gonna see a couple other people from our campus come up here and lead us in prayer during this time. But would you use this time of prayer and singing as a time of reflection and a time for you to engage with God and to pray along with us as God's people? So let's pray. Well, Jesus, we do just wanna come before you and also wanna say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to your church. And I genuinely believe with all of my heart that you are active and alive. You are the living head of your church, which means that you have things that you want for us. You actually have things that you wanna see happen as the head of your church that you desire. And so we trust you. We believe that you have wisdom. We believe that you have the answers. And so we're coming to you because we don't. We need the wisdom and we need your direction. And so would you guide us and lead us as a church? God, as we think about the next generation, And we think about just the the landscape that we live in right now, the brokenness that we see in the world. God, the reminder of the desperate need for hope. We think about what we've seen even just this past week and the shootings in Texas, the tragedy. Pray for the families that are connected and involved to all those who were lost. God, what a reminder that is to us of how desperately this next generation needs you And so God, would you help us as a church raise up to invest in the next generation? And would you give us wisdom as we face these decisions? So we we look to you, you're where our help comes from. We ask that you give us wisdom, pray in your name.